Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence Listener discretion is advised and now, Dealing In, Episode 3. Welcome to Episode 3 of Dealing In. This is the feedback show for the podcast novel Antithesis, Book 1, Predestination, and Other Games of Chance, the book with the title that's too long for anyone in the world, including its author. <laughs> with me are Kitty Nakian and Chris Lester, who you hear chuckling in the background at my lame attempts at humor. Antithesis is a serial novel that has a lot of suspense and turns on surprises. If you have not listened up through episode 14, stop now, go back. There will be spoilers ahead. And as I said, with me today is Chris Lester of the Metamore City Podcast. Hey, gang. And Kitty Nakian, who you know as the spaceport announcer, among other things. Hello. She is uh, the co-producer of the show. We just did a a feedback episode for Metamore City. This is Chris Lester's harebrained idea to get us all on the microphone at one point <laughs> so <laughs> that we can further convince all of you of our definite certifiability. Well, as you said in the beginning of the last Dealing In episode, uh, when you get the three of us together into a room, hilarity ensues. <laughs> so we may as well try to harness that energy and use it for good. Well, or at least entertainment. (laughs) Goodness can be mighty subjective. (laughs) Particularly when the three of us get together. (laughs) So um, Chris and Kitty are going to read portions of the feedback, and then I'm going to respond to them, and then we're going to get into all sorts of strange conversations about them, so... Chris, could you start us off? I certainly can. The first comment here is from the blog, and it was posted by Mildred, who says, In addition to my comments to you on Twitter, it is great to hear that you are back to your normal voice and health. Do you have her Twitter comments handy? Uh, Twitter I comments. can't remember whether I printed I think those up. They may be in Kitty's pile. Because I put these in uh, chronological order. Mm. Unfortunately, I forgot to archive her Twitter comments, but Millie, you're wonderful. You always send feedback, and I love it. Thank you very much for the well wishes, and I am feeling much better, though you wouldn't know it from the lack of new episodes on the feed. Um, (laughs) Someone turned him into a newt. I blame Artax. I got better. But uh, there will be new episodes soon. I'm just trying to get a bunch of them done before... Danny Shade, the composer, comes to stay for a week, and the two of us get completely sidetracked composing new music. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, This comment is from Lunar Shadow. I really enjoy the Dealing In episodes. It's great to hear other listeners' perspectives on how the story is going and where it may lead us. I look forward to future installments. Hooray! We have officially reached recursion milepost number one, where we're getting feedback on the feedback. feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I hope you enjoyed this one, Lunar Shadow. There's uh, actually quite a lot for such a short time since the last one. It's really gratifying and, and very exciting. Now here's another level of recursion, which is having the person who gave the feedback read the feedback live on the show. 
Uh, this is from me. Uh, I should have Kitty read it just for the hell. <laughs> no, please, man. This is from me back on December 8th. Hi, Dan, listening to episode 13, and I couldn't help but notice an interesting parallel between Jim's experience with the Mars cult and something that St. Paul said. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight through 29 Jim drinks from the communion bowl with malice toward Allie in his heart, and because of that he drinks judgment to himself. What should have been sweet turns bitter in his mouth. He had proven himself unworthy of communion because of the evil he harbors inside himself. The evil? The evil. Evil. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He's evil. He's not cute enough to be evil. <laughs> so I'm wondering. Three evils. So I'm wondering, was this a deliberate reference or an unconscious result of your Christian upbringing? Either way, I enjoyed the imagery. Cheers, Chris Lustig. It was a little, it was kind of like halfway in between. I didn't remember the exact verse, but the um, the sentiment that comes out of it was part of the liturgy in the churches where we took communion. And that much of it was deliberate. But I didn't remember the exact verse, and I'm very pleasantly surprised at how well it fits. Mm-hmm. Indeed it does. That's one of those verses that, uh, in the church that I grew up with, we heard uh, every fourth Sunday um, Mm. to the point where I had it memorized in Uh in James Version. (laughs) And so it's always in the back of my mind. That's how it popped up so fast. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's the sentiment that I've actually encountered in... um, in some dealings with uh, pagan groups and with Jewish groups. There's this um, which are the two other religious groups I've had a lot of first-person contact with. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the notion of ritual purity is so strong, and I can't imagine that kind of a welcoming ceremony where the notion of ritual purity does not come into play. Mm-hmm. That scene also sets up something in Book Four mm-hmm. that um, becomes in, it becomes a fulcrum point for the plot for the entire series. So it uh, it'll be fun. The thing that I, I appreciated about it and. Uh, that kind of ties you in with another uh, science fiction writer with three names and an initial J, uh, is that the the faith, the religion, has power. And it's, it's a deliberate... You, there, there's an actual physiological effect on him. Yes. There's an actual consequence mm-hmm. for violating ritual purity. A lot of times, you know, when people violate ritual purity in... You know, a religion, we assume that it's just between them and their conscience, mm-hmm. but the idea that faith can be strong enough that it actually has significant consequences mm-hmm. for the people who partake of it for good or ill. Yeah, and, very um, powerful and it's one of the reasons, and that's actually one of the reasons that the drugs are involved in the scene, because mm-hmm. the, the religions in this universe are very powerful, but it's not a supernatural power. I'm, I have, I have, uh, Definite opinions on the topic, but as far as the narrative is concerned, the narrative is agnostic about whether right. there are gods or not. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are. You think there are. It's a fun. It's a fun realm to play in. But I think the question involved, the questions implied by what a person believes and thinks, and how they believe it and think it, are much more interesting than the answers they come to. Mm. Um, so the narrative is agnostic, but. Drugs are central to communion rituals in every religion, whether it's alcohol in Christianity or peyote in certain Native American ceremonies or beer in ancient Egyptian mysteries. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it 
And one of the reasons I think it's been carried forward all this time, even to our virulent, even into our virulently anti-drug culture, is because um, even a little bit of a of a of a good psychoactive substance lowers emotional barriers and makes a person more receptive to the emotional power of ritual. Mm-hmm. And ritual is emotionally very powerful anyway. Definitely. And. If you go back through and you listen to the scene, uh, to the scene in episode 13, from the very beginning of the episode when he gets off the train, the smoke is in the air and he is beginning to get high. Yeah. And his experience changes the f- the further in he gets and the more high he gets. And then when he when he gets to the place of communion, he's ready to go over. Um he's he's emotional between the drugs and the friendliness and the um the emotional openness that he runs into that he's been missing so much. He's he's at home and he's happy. But when he comes right down to the moment of choice and crisis, his, um, his malice is too much for himself and it overwhelms him. Yeah. On some level, he is aware of his own guilt. Yes. And it, it backfires. Right. And him. that's one of the things... Um, yeah, you've. I think you've worked with uh, drug problems with students before. Uh, it's one of the things with any psychoactive substance is is that that old Latin phrase "in vino veritas." Mm. You you pump you lower the the conscious control you have over your subconscious, and you get whatever's back there, good or bad. Bad trips, good trips on LSD. They come from what's in here in your head, and. With Jim's barriers laid low by the drugs and by the emotional experience and the 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 ritual and the dance, he can't hide from himself anymore. Mm-hmm. He sees all of that ugliness he that's sees been building all, up in himself. All of it at once. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Also, because these the whole cast of characters are all people who are supremely good at hiding something from themselves mm. in one way or another. And that's this Jim is the first crack in the armor of a main character. And there will be more. Well, we've already seen, um, in Cassie's, mm. uh, behavior, right? The, uh, I, I find her, um, particular psychosis towards the way that she deals with her relationships to be very interesting. That mm. She's so pathologically afraid of, opening up and being dependent on anyone, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense given her background. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that she has such a hard time being vulnerable mm-hmm. with anyone and the, the, she's so terrified of what Brittany does to her because mm-hmm. Brittany just demolishes all, all of those her, defenses, all those defenses. And, and she, t- you know, she goes from being this, strong, powerful, self-assertive person to being completely submissive mm-hmm. in Brittany's hands. Submissive isn't quite the... I, there, there's an element of, of that, but it's not mm-hmm. quite the word I choose. It's it's a place where she's safe enough to relax and mm-hmm. not necessarily be submissive, but not have to be it, in it's control. It's where she's able to let go. It's where mm-hmm. she's able to let go. And, and completely be free of... Um, Right, of the roles she plays. Yeah, of the roles. And, and that's that's different from from submission in like a kink sense, because that's mm-hmm. a ritualized role that mm-hmm. gives you the gestalt of letting go, 
but you don't really have to if you don't want to. Yeah, I can see that. With Cassie, she Mm -hmm. really is letting go, and that's what terrifies her. Mm -hmm. And and she's also, you may have noticed, she's got a very strong bonding impulse and an amazing sense of loyalty. At the same time, she's terrified of bonding and being loyal. Well, I totally understand that, because when 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 you care about people in your life so deeply mm-hmm. you want to restrict the number of people right. that you form those connections with because the more people that you are bonded to the, the more, more easily you. you can be hurt yep i mean i totally get that mm-hmm. that's something i've had to deal with in my own life <laughs> yep okay. I, I was laughing at kitty was making a funny face at me she does that just the woman of a thousand faces mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't translate well to audio. No, unfortunately not. Okay, this uh, next comment is from Matt McGraw, who says, uh, Dan, I'm all caught up. Audio files via iTunes in episode 13, as well as dealing in two, were a little jacked up. I think the file for episode 13 was something like two and a half hours long for, for a 45-minute episode. Weird. Story-wise, though, this novel rocks hard. Thanks again, and I hope to see you on the 10th. I noticed that, too, the really long, yeah. exaggerated yeah, episode. There's, there's some feedback from Nobilis there. To yeah, the same I have effect. it right here. Go ahead and read it. I'll, I'll deal with it all at once. Yeah, he, he says, dude, two-hour and 15-minute episodes are not cool. Break the effer up. Seriously. <laughs> and I'm not editing. He actually yeah. wrote F apostrophe E-R. <laughs> it was a Twitter, so he had to be <laughs> space efficient. Yeah, um... I accidentally threw a switch in my compression program to variable bitrate, and it fucked everything up Ah. for those three episodes. It came out of my compression program at the proper length with no extra silence on the end, but I pulled it into a player, and it was registering two hours, three hours, and one of them actually wound up 45 minutes of story and then an hour and a half of silence at the end. (laughs) And I don't know how that happened, but... um, it's fixed now, <laughs> and now I know what to look for. It won't happen again, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> and now I know what variable bitrate does to your episode. <laughs> or can. I don't, I don't know why I did that, but man, that sucked. Podcasters, take note. Variable bitrate is not your friend. No. Okay, I have one here from... My old buddy, Eldon K.R. from the Banter Over the Cigarette podcast. He says, I've been listening to your book, and it's nothing short of amazing. As soon as I get another computer up and running, I'll most definitely listen to the rest of it. The words you write seem real. Even though it's set in space, it just screams realism, and it makes me feel. That's why I love it, but that's also why I hate it. Conflicting, I know. One of the ones that leaves me conflicted is the episode where the two agents are after Joss. Forget their names, please insert them for me when Jim you read Allie this. Jim and Allie Hartman. Jim and Allie are having marital problems, and the husband almost gets roped into the cult, and he comes home, and there's this big fight. It's real, and it makes me feel, which is why I love it, but I also hate it because I was listening to it at the same time that I was going through troubles with my girlfriend of two years leaving me. Ouch. Ow. It's great stuff. I love it and I hate it at the same time, but that makes me love it all the more. Because any novelist can write something that you don't want to put down or turn off, but it really takes real talent to create something that will piss off your listeners enough to want them to throw their iPod across the room, only to go get it a few minutes later and keep listening. 
Wow. You, sir, pull it off famously. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to continuing conversations with you over email. Thank you very, very much, Eldon. I am smiling so wide right now, it's hard to speak. It's true, folks. That is... Wow. Thank you. I don't know what else to say to that. <laughs> Please, give me another one so I don't have to sit here blushing. Okay, um... This one's from Adam McCoy. Hi, Dan. I'm loving the story. My only complaint is that I wish I would have waited until it was completely done and then started. I feel like a crack-addicted monkey waiting for a fix. <laughs> try to do this with your next book, though I really doubt I'll be able to stay away from good writing. I'm having an issue with this week's podcast. When I downloaded the podcast, my... Com uh, yeah, that's the, that's the, the old the, issue. The, yeah, the um, long episode thing. Oh, I know you are very busy with Antithesis, but what is the status of Sculpting God and Polyschismatic? Will they return when Predestination is over? And one last question. How many podcasts are left in the first book of Antithesis? Uh, taking them in reverse order. Uh, thank you very much, by the way. I love having crack-addicted crack monkeys. Sigler, watch out. <laughs> Apparently this is going to be your equivalent for... Um... <laughs> For, for junkies right. and metamorphs, it's <laughs> well, Jay Daniel Sawyer and his crack addicted, addicted monkeys. monkeys. <laughs> I've been kind of unofficially calling them the resistance so far, ah, but I'm, okay. I'm, I'm still flexible. <laughs> if you guys have a name you'd rather be known as, please. The crack addicted monkey resistance. <laughs> C-A-M-R. That doesn't make a good acronym. CARM? Car CAMR. <laughs> Need to find an A. The the <laughs> crack addicted monkey resistance for antithesis camera. <laughs> so all my cameras, let me push your buttons some more. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. What were the, the the last question he asked? I'll take them in reverse order. <laughs> How many more episodes of antithesis? Antithesis runs twenty seven episodes, I believe. That's predestination. Yeah, predestination one, right? does. The following four novels will all be of similar length, although book book four might be a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, so they're in in. But uh, predestination will run out um, at episode twenty seven, and it'll be going more or less weekly until then. After predestination, antithesis takes a break while I podcast down from ten. Which has already I've already got Nobilis on board for that. I've already got Chris Lester on board for that. I'm still trying to get a bunch of other really amazing podcasting voices, um, and that'll be a bit of a different kind of story, but it should be a lot of fun. And then Antithesis Book Two comes back right on the heels of Down from Ten. Now, Sculpting God has at least four stories left in the corpus, and it might balloon out to six, depending on what I've got time to write. But it is going to wait until Antithesis is done. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a... I'm going to drop those either concurrently with the beginning of Down From 10, or I'm going to drop them in between Down From 10 and Antithesis to buy myself a little extra production time. The Polyschismatic Reprobates Hour has got eight episodes in the can. I've got another three episodes to record for the new season. They are being edited right now. They will start dropping towards the end of January. A um, lot of really interesting folks coming on, from uh, inventors to um, ambassadors to 
to more authors um, and uh, two episodes with Richard Carrier on the history of science in the Greek and Roman empires. So that should be a lot of fun. And, um, and of course, Kitty is back as Hera Flea doing the Reprobates news, which is going to be an even bigger deal this time around. All right. This next one is from Patty Heaney. Howdy. Found you through Chris Lester's Metamore City. And I have to say, you rock harder than a thing that rocks really, really hard. Seriously. Woohoo! I love the sheer grittiness of your writing. No glossing over the details, which makes the bigger picture all the more intriguing. It's as though the only thing really hiding motives and background is the openness that you use to describe them. Oh, and my guess for Senator Shelley, since I could use some really cool t-shirts, and who has money for them nowadays? <laughs> he did those things because he's an egomaniacal sociopath. As for what he hopes to gain, assuming that this is a simple power grab for the presidency seems too easy. Also, the very brief but very poignant references to the company that controls O2 mining on Luna makes me wonder if there's a much bigger, much more economic drive behind all of this. Perhaps he, A, wants to frame slash discredit Joss, B, wants the off-world colonies to unite, then ascend to the top of their power structure, and or C, he's been working for the Persian Empire this whole time and is trying to get the off-world inhabitants to turn to them and leave North America a third-world backwater. Or he's just trying to get things ready for Cthulhu. As his daughter already learned, it's always better to be eaten first. Wow, even for me, that was bad. Patty, I have to salute you for that. That was genius. That was great. And some geeky feedback for the geeky comments you made on the feedback episode. Yes, Quanta can't really jump very far. You wouldn't jump very far either if your legs were a lot less than an atom long. <laughs> but since they can apparently burrow through space-time on a whim, quantum uh -huh. tunneling anyone, I think that they may be able to move pretty far when they want to. Wink. So keep up the awesome. Rest assured you have plenty of it to keep me hooked for a while, Patty. <laughs> Thanks, Patty. Quantum tunneling did occur to me after the episode. <laughs> and she also has the most awesome SIG file on here. Ooh, it's a quote from Stephen Colbert. 22 astronauts were born in Ohio. What is it about your state that makes people want to flee the Earth? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. great. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, the, the, the guess is about Senator Shelley. Um, God, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could comment, but it'll spoil things, so I won't. Um, you'll find out soon enough. And then once you find out, then we can have that conversation. <laughs> I've given up trying to figure out the scheming. Of yeah, I'm not people. giving Chris any more hints than I'm giving you guys, and I see him in real life. Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I, Senator Shelley, I love the character, and I love the fact that you got Nathan Lowell to play him. Oh, he does such he's, a great oh, job, doesn't fantastic. he? I love that. It's like, hey, that's Nate, and oh, he is so perfect for this. I know. I, I, said, I said, can you do a Massachusetts accent? I know. And he was like, oh, sure, I used to live there. And oh, I'm yeah. like, yes. Yeah, I've so got to get Nathan into one of my Metamorph oh, City stories somewhere. Oh, he is amazing. Yeah, and he's really forgiving. The few I write without very many dialogue tags, so there have been a few occasions where, like, Shelley has lines, but his name doesn't appear. It's just mm -hmm. clear from the context who's talking. And so when you go to break out the script in a novel, right, you do find blah, blah, blah name. Yeah. And so occasionally we missed 
a line here and there. And there have been a couple of times I've called him up and I've said, Nathan, I really suck and I'm sorry, but I need you for this episode. <laughs> Do you have five minutes <laughs> for this one line? Yeah. <laughs> and he's been really accommodating. And if anybody out here has not yet heard Nathan's uh, Tales of the Golden Age of the Solar They're Clipper... They're really good. Oh, they are. I mean, he totally breaks all the rules for narrative structure, but I love the books, and I can't mm -hmm. get enough of his character. And they, they give one of the best books for getting a feel for Coast Guard. I think he was in the Coast Guard, uh -huh. wasn't he? And for, um, for that kind of militaristic um, mercantile command structure on a ship that you've ever run into. It's really, really something. Yeah, yeah. It really feels very, very authentic. Mm -hmm. And uh, you wouldn't think that a st series of stories with very little in the way of overt sex, no violence, um, no really screwed up emotional problems mm -hmm. would be as utterly enthralling as this series is. Mm -hmm. But he makes it... It, it's a very. It, 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 I don't want to say patient because that makes it sound slow, and it's not because mm -hmm. it, it 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 sweeps you right up with it. But mm -hmm. there's something very patient about the way he deals with his characters that I really like. Yeah, I mean the stories. You know, these are not heroes, as no. he said in his. They're ordinary in, people. Yeah, they're ordinary people. Very different from the kind of stories that you and I are podcasting right, right. now. Yeah. I mean, we've got, essentially, we've both got universes that are populated almost exclusively with Nietzsche and Superman at the moment. <laughs> I, I know that both of our universes go down more towards normal people as we get further into them, but, but at the moment, <laughs> we're both at the Nietzsche and Superman point. Yeah, and or just people, ordinary people with some really freaky powers. Or freaky powers or, or in, in positions of amazing influence. Right, yeah. So the uh, the whole thing with have, being able to tell an engaging story um, with some characters who are ordinary folks in extraordinary circumstances, mm -hmm. um, he, he's, he's a master of it. And I have to wait for each of his books to be finished before I start listening to it because they are like crack and yep. once I start I can't stop. Yeah, I got I got halfway through quarter share before I started Antithesis. Mm. Um, I heard his voice on a podcast. I, I ran into him on a forum online mm -hmm. and it, it, we'd been trading production advice and then I heard his voice on a promo and I was like oh, I've got to have him do Bill Shelley. He's perfect for Bill Shelley. And so I started listening to Quarter Share, and it was so good. I had to put it down, or I was not going to get Antithesis out the door on time. <laughs> so I'm like waiting till I've got time so I can listen to the rest of them. But oh man, the yeah. first half of Quarter Share was like, <gasps> dude. Yeah, good, really good, good stuff. So yeah, I'm sure that Dan will put a link in the show notes. Oh but... yes, I put a link in the show notes every time he's on the show. There you go. It, and, and by the way, if you guys haven't found the show notes, they're at antithesis.jdsawyer.net. Every episode has a cast list, links to all the voices that you're hearing for everyone who has a web page. And um, it's a good way to find some of the fabulous people who are helping out. But as for how uh, what, what Shelley is up to, I'm going to go ahead and openly speculate since I go don't have a it. clue either. Um, I'm... Everything, this, this whole storyline, of course, I can't listen to anything about lunar independence without thinking of the moon as a harsh mistress. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you have a lot of characters in that book that, who are doing things that 
are apparently the opposite of what they actually want to happen in order to essentially um, you know reverse psychology people into the results that they want mm-hmm. you know, they they instigate um, incidents with the the people in power so that they can build sympathy back home they go back you know they visit earth and they present themselves they get themselves presented as a bunch of freaks mm-hmm. well um, they wait until they're well and good infected with all the diseases they don't have any immunity to right yeah and then they they build up this whole um you know they think about up, their line marriages yeah and they the... built up enough animosity to them to just build the circumstances so that they have to break away and mm-hmm. so that the number of people who, you know, even though the majority of the people would be happy to just sort of go along with things the way that they have been and maintain the status quo until it kills them and they run out of, mm-hmm. you know, all of their their uh, natural resources on Luna, um, the main characters engage in a conspiracy for the good of the people to force them into a war that they don't want. Which is what happened with the American Revolution. Exactly, exactly. And I every time I listen to Shelley's you know, triple layered scheming. I can't help thinking that there's some sort of thing like this going on where he's trying to manipulate somebody into doing something for their own good um, that they wouldn't want to do and that will be very costly for them, but will be better for them in the long run than maintaining the status quo. Oh man, I so wish I could comment on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But so that's that's but, my feeling about it. What was uh, the he? Was there anything else in the email that we might have missed? Uh, let's see, egomaniacal sociopath, getting things ready for Cthulhu, it's always better to be eaten first, but uh, Earlier on, before he speculates on Shelley. Uh, grittiness? Oh. No glossing over details, which makes the bigger picture mm-hmm. all the more intriguing. Yeah. Thank you particularly for that. That is the thing about my writing style that I like most, which is mm-hmm. maybe a bit egomaniacal and sociopathic to say myself, but, um... I I really there's um there's a a way of of playing um of doing close up magic and uh, also ways card games that you can play um or chess is another good game like this where you can see everything on the board everything from every angle that everybody's doing and in the end you still get surprised J. Michael Straczynski did this with Babylon 5. There were no surprises in B5 in terms of what happens. You watch through the first season, you know everything that's going to happen. If you've got anything more than a a passing familiarity with Western literature, you know everything that's going to happen, and yet every week he surprised you. Mm -hmm. Not because of what happened, but because of why. And how. And how. And I'm trying to do that because I like the challenge and yeah. it's really good to hear that, that so far it's working. Indeed. As far as the quantum leap thing, mm, thing yeah. is concerned, um, as a scientist, I have to interject the reason why we get that, that expression is mm-hmm. because, um, they used to think that there were like gradations where think there was a, like a continuous grade of energy levels that things could exist at. That's and, the uh, elect- oh, sorry. The electrons are still held to existence states because that's, uh, they absorb a photon. They go to a higher energy level right. you have and spe- they radiate and they go to a lower orbit, that kind of thing. Right. Nobody really understood the idea of packeted energy and the fact that you suddenly jump from one level to a level that's mm-hmm. much higher. Um, gotcha. So that's, you know, even though the, the distances involved are small, the, the fact that you go from 
one level to a completely new level, um, that's where the expression quantum leap comes from. It's gotcha. From it's not gradual. It's sudden and it's dramatic. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Kitty, do you have the next one? Uh, yeah, this is from Sister Little Bunny who says, Greetings. So can one be a junkie and still enjoy the resistance? I just wanted to tell you that I have really enjoyed listening to Antithesis. If I manage to quit smoking, I'm going to blame you and Mr. Sigler because I cannot get away from my computer without wondering what I could be missing or listening to. <laughs> Keep up the great work. And yes, obviously, you can be a junkie if you were a crack-addicted monkey resistance. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's both, both Sigler and I are very much into the free market, and you can patronize both of us, and that's fine. Just don't go away, or we'll have to come and kill you. <laughs> or we'll send Sigler. We'll send the you. plaid tanks after you. <laughs> With the chicken scissors. With the chicken scissors. <laughs> Hey, there's the A in the the, um, the the acronym. It's Crack Addicted Monkey Resistance Agent. Gamma. Oh, boy. This is getting bad. Someone shoot Lester for me, please. <laughs> Sigler! Thank, thank you very, very much. That was great. I got a junkie. I nailed a junkie. Woo! All right. Tell the other junkies. Get them over here. If All you- 30,000. Yeah, all 30,000 of them. I, if I can get about 10% of you, I'll be doing really, really good. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was just distracted by that <laughs> random sound effect from Kitty. Okay. Now you see why she creates the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one is from Indiana Jim. Episode 12, and I still haven't figured out why Jim dislikes Allie so much or why Allie has such a problem with Jim. What did I miss? It seems like they both jumped to hatred way too soon. Maybe it's supposed to be jarring. I don't think you established that their marriage was that stale. Maybe I just figured that they had further to go to get to the bottom. think I got everything you said. I re-listened to episode 2 and now episode 3, but it's like seeing them understand the reality. But as I saw it, that they were taking steps to fix things, to find out suddenly that they don't care about fixing things anymore, I guess I saw the troubles but didn't expect apathy. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, that's one side of a Twitter conversation he and I had. Basically, if you go back and listen to the first couple episodes, you'll notice that they are both thinking about something in their past that fucked things up very badly between them. But they're both trying very hard to put on brave game faces to make the best of what they've got because it's not all bad. It's just one thing that really screwed things up. But neither of them wants to talk about it because if you talk about it, it becomes real and suddenly you have to deal with it. And neither of them wants to go there. And if you've ever been in a long-term relationship, this is what kills marriages that don't marriages and long-term relationships that don't fall apart once the sexual excitement wears off it's when things get built up you don't want to talk about them because they're too dangerous and hatred is not a problem apathy is the problem and you hold on to that stuff long enough and you go cold and what happened with Jim and Allie is that the failure with Joss was the last thing Allie needed to go cold and Jim is pissed. She's checked out, and he is not handling it well. Because he's not ready to give up yet, and she's way farther down that road than he is. 
Um, and that's the nature of what's going on. If you missed it, Jim, and you're a very bright guy, I might have to go back in with my editor when um, he goes through Antithesis and weave in a little bit more in the way of hinting. But I can't give it away just yet what it is that happened between them. All the clues are there. You can figure it out if you listen carefully. But I can't give it away just yet because it becomes extremely important later on. And it's that made the reaction that Allie had when he came home from the cult um, compound that much more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact if she is so far gone down this this road to apathy, why does she even care? You know what he's been up to or who he's been you know having sex with or whatever. It's because when he checked, when she was checked out, but when he checked out, it snapped. It whopped her upside the head and snapped her back. Mm-hmm. She suddenly realized that, what she was losing. What she was losing, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to throw something away. It's another thing to have it stolen from have you. Have it taken from you, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, you can s- definitely see the the problem signs building up mm-hmm. over the course of the, the story. Although I have to say, you had mentioned um, when we were off mic that it, the story takes place over like eight months that we've seen so yeah, far. We, and... um, the, the, the incident in Jim and Allie's past happened three or four years before the beginning of the story, and that's established in um, the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. And since then, up to the point where we are now in episode 14, where Volish is introduced, we're about eight... I'll have to look at my timeline to be sure, but I believe we're about eight months past the end of the chase with Joss Kyle. Yeah, and I did not get any sense of that that the passage of time was that great. You know, mm-hmm. you would mention it occasionally about the amount of time that's gone past. And it's like, has it really been that long? It doesn't it's feel really like been it. that long. And then you just yeah. you know, kind of go on. I'm not, I guess I'm not mm-hmm. getting a sense of the sort yeah, of I transitional may stuff. Be, because, because of the way that we, I bump between perspectives, I may have, I might, may wind up having to date the sections mm-hmm. because I, I've got, I've got enough of the, you know, it's been blah, blah, blah since this happened in the individual threads that I'm afraid of belaboring the point to the point where um, it becomes pedantic, and that's bad, too. Mm -hmm. But if two people are now telling me that it feels like it's moving faster than it actually is, I need to do something about that. So in the printed version, I will probably have timestamps or do something else to make it more clear how much time really is passing. Because this, you know, you said on your review in Metamore City that it that that some of some of it moves kind of slow, but not in an uninteresting way. Right. One of the reasons it moves slow is because in the character's time, it's really it's taking a long time. You've got months of travel between planets, mm-hmm. except when they're at opposition. Um, and uh, big events that take a long time to unfold. Which totally makes sense when you're telling a story about revolution, mm-hmm. because yeah. revolutions don't happen overnight. Right. Um, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer films notwithstanding. This one is from Chris. Uh, just listen to Man and... Uh, if you can get closer. Oh, this is from Chris. He's got to read his own feedback. <laughs> okay, I have to read my own feedback. All right. Uh, from Chris... Da, 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 da. Okay. Just listen to Man in the Rain and first two parts of Predestination. Loving it so far. Great job with the production and prose style. And then from Thank you. from Robin in Soul, just listen to Ep 9. Finding the Spice Vendor reminds me of the first time I found the black market for foreign food in Korea. 
I was grinning on the subway. People were looking at me. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, there's nothing nothing more wonderful than walking into a place that's got the kind of food you've been looking everywhere for. Particularly if it's got an emotional attachment for you. Mm-hmm. It's just it's one of the most beautiful sensual experiences in the world and that's that 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 scene is based kind of on the first time I walked into an Indian store and I yeah. smelled everything at once and i'd had indian food and i wanted to learn to make it because i loved it so much yeah the first time i walked into to vic's uh um, store over in berkeley Mm -hmm. with all of the rows upon rows of spices oh yes good stuff i'm I'm like this anytime i find a new ethnic grocery store of any kind it's like ooh, an ethiopian spice store Ooh. Korean, a Korean market, yay! Wow, wow, what is that? I've never seen that. Wonder what I can do with it. And the last comments that we have here were some from uh, conversations with uh, my good friend Art, aka Noble Bear, on Twitter. Uh, first off, he had questioned um, on goodness. Um, with regard to the good guys and bad guys motiva- motivation, you know, the characters are all strong and most of the good characters are trod upon or bad guys. Who's, who are we supposed to be rooting for here? Yeah, and um, the short answer is I'm not going to tell you. Um, he, he had gone, if I remember the conversation right, he had gone on at some length wondering whether we should be rooting for the um, independence movement to succeed or for Earth's, uh, for the U.S.'s uh, effort to pull them back to succeed, mm-hmm. um, where the Persians and all of this mix. Right. And, you know, what, are Joss and, is Joss a good guy? Is Cassie a good guy? Is, is, is Senator Shelley going to turn out eventually to be the good guy? And the answer is yes and no to all of them. Um, the strategic reality you've got is that any anybody who lives on the moon owns the earth, if they wish to, in the same way that Paul Atreides controlled the spice by being able to destroy it in Dune. It takes almost nothing to mine a big rock on the moon. Throw rocks at the mic. Throw rocks at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 Heinlein pulled this uh, pulled this off beautifully. And Moon is a harsh mistress. That strategic reality hasn't changed. And in twelve years, people will be li- from now. People will be living permanently on the moon. And if it's not our colony, the Swiss and the Japanese and the Chinese are all going to be putting one up there too. Mm. People will live permanently on the moon. And unless there's some major crash of civilization. At that point, we're a two-planet species, and we always will be. And obviously, the Swiss are trying to get there in order to prove that the moon is made of green cheese. Right. <laughs> or they can make good clocks, you know. <laughs> but, um, but no, the, um, the strategic reality is you do not want a sociopath sitting at the top of the gravity well. No, because you don't. all it takes is a few big rocks lobbed in our direction, and you've got a replay of the movie Deep Impact. That's it. You don't have to have nuclear weapons or anything. Mm-hmm. And that's the strategic reality that the people in the United States in this story are coping with because it's their colony that – I mean you know, the U.S. isn't the only country there. But mm-hmm. the majority of people in Luna City, which is the biggest city, um, are Americans or came through American immigration 
and are pre-vetted and appoint, the leadership is appointed by the Congress. So this is a group of people they think they can trust and this group of people are fomenting a revolution or they seem to be. This is a major betrayal and it's a strategic crisis. And we've had uh, similar situations in the Cold War where cooler heads prevailed, which is why we're still here. But there have always been people in the people in the White House saying, launch now before we all die. Mm-hmm. And, and they, people in the Kremlin. In the Kremlin. 83 almost wiped uh-huh. us off the map because of that misunderstanding. Right. And, and because we survived, it's nice to think that um, the people who were hawkish were crazy, but they weren't. They were just a little bit, teeny bit more panicky than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And perhaps a teeny bit more sociopathic. And, and, may, and in some cases, probably a teeny bit more sociopathic, but you know, if your sociopath is on your side and he's right, you know, what do you care? So are the the U.S. the good guys? Well, they might be because on some level the people protecting their interests there are trying to keep people on Earth alive. Mm-hmm. Now, are the people on the moon and in the outer colonies the good guys? Well, they are like Australians, they're they're aside from the scientists, they're mainly criminals, reprobates, traitors, and people uh, traders, not traitors, and people that um, that operate on the edge of society and like it that way, as any frontier culture is. These are not necessarily the kind of people you want pointing a gun at you. On the other hand, these people represent the future of the human race and our ability to survive beyond the death of our planet. Heinlein had always said that the people that you need in a um, in order to move civilization forward are the people who are least capable of living in civilization. And it's very, very true. And the next episode deals much more explicitly with that point. Um, but you've you've got this balance of things. Do you want uh, you know? Do you want to root for? the side that's going to keep us planet bound but alive or do you want to keep root for the side that's going to keep us out in the stars but which might destroy our home planet in the process that's not an easy choice but i mean the people involved joss kyle jim and ali hartman doug all of whom are on different sides of this polyhedral political puzzle these are not good people most of them They are at best morally questionable. I think maybe Doug is a good person. Yes, I believe that. I, um, I would believe Doug, that. Doug is a genuinely good person. But aside from Doug and maybe Jade, I think the only other genuinely good person we have in this whole mix is Marion. And mm. you saw what happened to her. Yes, she got eaten first. She got eaten first. In the kind of situation that this is, um, and these kinds of situations are not uncommon in the world, though they're a lot less common than they used to be, which is nice. Good people are not necessarily the people who wind up making history. Right. Strong people make history. Good mm-hmm. people, if they're also strong people, make history. Otherwise, the bad guys win. Or at least the bad people win. Sometimes that means the good guys win. Mm-hmm. It's never clear. And we tend to remember our past heroes as good guys. But mm-hmm. if you get down, if you knew them personally... Some of them you'd absolutely hate. I mean, Patrick Henry was a fucking lunatic. (laughs) He was a fascistic theocrat who kept his wife in a basement and tortured her for her whole life because she was uh, schizophrenic and he didn't know how else to deal with her. Wow. Um, 
Benjamin Franklin was a, uh, or uh, Thomas Jefferson was a slaveholder. Benjamin Franklin was a womanizer with a reputation that literally stretched across the globe and probably had thousands of children. Franklin Delano Roosevelt is yeah. F- remembered for being a, uh, you know, the, the guy who got us through World War II, mm-hmm. but he was a communist sympathizer. Who, and... who by poor choices, extended the Depression. Mm-hmm. And, and also tried to pack the Supreme and Court. And also tried to, to pack the Supreme Court so he could become king. The people who make history are not always good people. And usually aren't. In the sense that you would call a friend a good person. Mm-hmm. But there's different kinds of goodness. And as the story moves forward, we're going to see a sorting of these characters as their strengths and interests either align with each other or align against each other. Right now, none of you know which side anyone's going to end up on. And I guarantee you at least some of your guesses are wrong, Mm -hmm. no matter what they are. But it's the fact that none of these people are good guys that makes that kind of drama possible. And... um, I think most people have within them that that, that self-interested dark place where they're not comfortable admitting their own motivations to themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the place that I like to go with this story. And the truth is when you're doing a character-driven story, um, the question of who is the good guy is really secondary. The question is who are you supposed to be sympathizing with at this point in time? You know, in my own novel, Making the Cut, the you've got the, tel- the conflict between the telepaths and the, the vampire uh, crime organization. Um, both of these groups engage in criminal behavior, wantonly, mm-hmm. with flagrant disregard <laughs> for the laws of the society that they live mm-hmm. in. If anything, the vampires are more lawful than the telepaths yep. are because they own more <laughs> of the politicians. So you've, you've got... Characters within both of these societies who want good things, mm-hmm. who want you know to maintain peace and stability and order. Mm-hmm. You know, Malcolm Ardvalos, the kingpin of, of crime in Metamore City, wants to keep the criminal element from turning violent and from perpetuating itself up, percolating up through the levels to disturb the lives of the citizens in the higher levels of the city. Mm-hmm. And you've got the telepaths who just want to survive and make sure that their their children, that their genetic posterity, that the future of the human race is going to move forward. And both of these sides are capable of doing some tremendously bad things and making some tremendously bad decisions. In- and and <laughs> neither of those goals in and of themselves are evil. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and and see what in antithesis you've got Joss Kyle, who if you've listened to the Man in the Rain, you know is not just a traitor and a defector. He's a sociopath. Violated? No, he's not a sociopath. Isn't he? No, (laughs) he is a man who is capable of doing whatever is necessary, even if that means vivisecting someone alive, which he did in the Man in the Rain. And See, to he, my mind, it's hard to imagine somebody being capable of doing that without being a sociopath. Well, a sociopath does it because he doesn't believe you're human. Mm. Doesn't believe you, he doesn't have the sense of sympathy. Okay. And a psychopath does it because it makes him feel like God. Joss does it because it seems he has no choice in a given situation. In The Man in the Rain, they were, they were contracted to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he needed to find out if there were any more in the neighborhood. 
that was the tool he had at his disposal and he used it and he did not and this is the thing that makes Joss creepy he did not look back with regret upon it mm, yes. it was necessary therefore it was justified and Joss is the ultimate pragmatist which, which is maybe scarier than being a sociopath which is far scarier than being a sociopath <laughs> Cassie is a multiple murderer the the story Volish tells about her in episode fourteen. He says, "I heard she uh, she killed ten men with a cheese knife when she was no higher than my hip." Is not an exaggeration. Wow! In book two, we actually see that scene, and Ooh. it is not pretty. I'm oh, sorry. Book th- is book two or book three? I can't remember. But Cassie is absolutely, utterly, completely ruthless. She's not a pragmatist. She's vindictive. Mm. And she is fiercely maternally protective of certain things and people and takes great pleasure in protecting them in the most vicious possible ways. So that nobody ever gets such ideas again. Exactly. I and, understand And that. she is a crime lord. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, is, she is the Marlon Brando of this universe, except she gets her hands dirty more. Mm-hmm. So she's not a good guy either. Brittany is a um, manipulator. Is is a cardinal manipulator who, as a lesbian who has a complete distaste for men, was willing to whore herself out to men in order to get what she wanted, which was to get off planet to where she could dance. Mm-hmm. And then she insinuated herself with Cassie, so that she could make sure her job was secure. And I'm still trying to find out how much of that um, relationship is genuine. On right, Brittany's and that's side. A, and how much of what she of what she seems to feel for Cassie is genuine because we've not seen the relationship from her perspective. Right, we've only seen it from Cassie's. Is she true? Is she false? We don't know. Jade is deceiving the man she wants to spend the rest of her life with, and deceiving her sister about this man's nature. At least as far as we can tell at this point. Jim and Allie are mercenaries for hire who don't have any deeper values beyond the payoff of the moment. They, tr- they don't kill people for hire, but they will hunt anybody and they don't care as long as they get paid. They don't particularly care what's going to happen to that person and after they And they don't care what's what going to happen to that person after he gets caught. Percy is a man who is a professional killer who was willing to attack his wife because he was ordered to do so. Not to mention what he did to Walters. Not to mention what he did to Scott Walters, which we find out more about very soon here. But in this whole situation, who are the only two people that are feeling remorse about anything they do? Percy and Bill. But Bill ordered the attack on his daughter mm-hmm. and used his protege, who is also his son-in-law, to do it. So he's betrayed the people closest to him for reasons we, have, we, we don't know yet. And he feels bad about doing it. Where all of our good guys are remorseless in the terrible things they've done. What is going on in this universe? <laughs> Obviously, this is a very dark world. <laughs> yes. Uh, Volish is the other good guy. Okay, yes. At least so far. I love Volish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear more about the history of Volish, check out the Metamore City 
feedback episode that we recorded just before this one because we get into Volish definitely my favorite character because and now we know why because <laughs> you've eliminated everybody else is morally reprehensible <laughs> uh, and okay noble bear also had one other thing that he wanted to know about which is he says speaking of messy you'll have to tell me how the sand units work sometime you mentioned sand and suction hoses in their description I feel like I might best not know, but curiosity has gotten the better of me. <laughs> I, I I'm so glad someone noticed it. the The workings of them are actually explained in episode seven. It's just that it kind of gets lost in the emotional shuffle because right after you find out how they work, Marion gets the shit beat out of her, mm. which is a very disturbing scene. Yes, but um, what my um, my writing buddy pointed out that they would have different bathrooms in space, which is absolutely true. So I looked around, dug through all of NASA's stuff on toilets, and if you ever want some very strange reading, read the kind of things that have been designed by NASA to take care of astronauts who need to poop. <laughs> Not to mention pee and douche and deal with menstrual uh, cycles and that sort of thing. It's very, it's, it's very strange, but very fascinating stuff and weird. But um, Oh, God, so now I'm imagining periods in space. I'm going to mm -hmm. need... Where's the brain bleach? <laughs> we need to get brain douche on here. <laughs> <laughs> For that fresh, clean feeling. <laughs> but, uh, no, what it is, is it's, um, it's, a, it's a vacuum and a um, water hose that are fixed to a nozzle that plugs into a disposable saddle. Yeah, if you're a man, you only need to use the saddle for one thing, and you can just stick your dick in the hose for the other thing. But uh, <laughs> and hope there are no terrible, terrible accidents at <laughs> right. the suction level. <laughs> right. But if you're a woman, you need to use the saddle for both things, and basically, you it fits over your anus and your vulva, and you do your thing, and then the bidet goes on at the same... The, the water squirts you like a bidet at the same time that the suction goes on and pulls the waste away. And so that model eliminates the need for toilet paper processing. It works in zero gravity as well as in gravity, and the only place in the system that you find regular toilets are on the near-Earth orbiting stations where there's a lot of tourist trade. and It's economically advantageous to let people shit in the normal fashion. <laughs> And presumably also on Earth. Right, and, and on Earth, of course. But that's the long description of what the sand units are and what they're for. Of course, this uh, adds another wrinkle because you've got the whole issue of water use in space. Mm -hmm. And you know, water doesn't grow on trees. No, but it is infinitely recyclable. It is, as long as you've got people who are willing to deal with the fact that they're going to be drinking their own piss in about you know 24 hours people in people in on military units in the desert do that all the time it's mm -hmm. it it will become common it is it's really going to have to be because we're getting to the situation where where it's getting harder and harder to get clean water even here on planet earth mm -hmm. and uh you know they're already talking about the fact that the uh the space station is going to have to have a complete you know 100% recycling mm -hmm water system they're working on it right now and mm. uh i think they're getting ready to yeah, go the technology live exists soon. the technology light enough to boost doesn't exist yet but it will very soon yeah um but yeah it's everything that comes out of a 
it's probably I think I think the most wasteful thing we do right now is treat sewage and flush it into the sea, mm-hmm. um, because that's good hydrocarbons, which you know fertilizer, fuel, plastic base poop is wonderful stuff from a material <laughs> science point of view, mm-hmm. and in space. That's free processing that's been done by the body, mm-hmm. right? You, that's, that's stuff you don't have to expend energy to break down into those constituent hydrocarbons. You've got mm-hmm. less processing to do to make plastic or fertilizer or explosives out of human poop than you do out of the raw materials or even sometimes out of uh, raw hydrocarbons like coal. Not to mention that if you're Depending looking what to the get nutrients is. back to the mm-hmm. plants back, to grow food, nutrients back to you've the plants. just loaded mm-hmm. it up with all those intestinal bacteria that are already yep. hard at work breaking it down. Absolutely. It's free. It's a, it's, it's almost a free lunch. And, uh, on and an ex- Yep, Tanstaffel. <laughs> from an explosives point of view, I mean, gunpowder comes from pig shit. <laughs> um the the Chinese developed gunpowder by soaking pig shit and urine together until they evaporated and formed pota- nitrate crystals. That totally had to have happened by accident. Yeah, it had to have happened time. by accident the first time. Which leads me to a very funny mental image of a poor pig farmer and some un- unfortunate house fire. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that has to be how it started. But that's the accelerant in gunpowder. And from there, all modern explosives flow. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> All right, we are out of feedback, sir. We are How out can of feedback. Contribute to this madness. Oh boy, yeah, and boy, I'm starting to get tired too. Two, <laughs> three hours of this man with your show. Uh, da, da, pe- pe- uh, da, da, da. People can contribute to this madness by leaving feedback on the blog at jdsawyer.net or antithesis.jd. Uh, or antithesis.jdsawyer.net, or by emailing me directly at dan at jdsawyer.net, or by twittering me on Twitter at dsawyer. There's unfortunately no phone number at the moment because I lost it because no one was calling in. But um, Sadness. <laughs> sadness. You had to go through that recently. I did. <laughs> Call him, please, people. There will be a phone number by the time the episode 15 drops, which shouldn't be too much longer here. Maybe another week at the outside, and I hope a lot sooner than that. Well, check the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. How else can they get to me? I'm I'm sure someone can hunt me down and kill me. (laughs) Uh, I don't don't log into Skype often enough for that to be worth it. Um, Those are the main ways you can get in touch with me. And um, yeah, leave feedback, and uh, we'll have you on the next feedback show. And also, uh, please leave a review at iTunes. There's the contest right now for a My Name is Joss Kyle t-shirt. Or if you want, there is going to be a new t-shirt coming out co- uh, that says, Volish is my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And if you prefer that to My Name is Joss Kyle, you can get that instead if you win the contest. Leave a review on iTunes. It does not have to be a positive review. If you don't like the show, I just want the reviews the number of reviews be honest and your name goes in a hat to get drawn out at the end of the contest which is what was i say new year's was it i don't even remember yeah you know what you should totally there's been too much booze and too many hours tonight man my brain is starting to go (laughs) little chocolate bottles beautiful liqueur oh man wonderful I wish I wish we both had the energy to get into the kind of back and forth comparisons between uh, Antithesis and Metamore City that we did in your show. Oh, that would be <laughs> it was fun. good. 
But so you'll just have to go and listen. Yeah, to the go other listen show. to that. We we compare among other things the uh, the sexual orientations and the gender identity distributions of our different universes, and how they're almost mirror opposites of one another. Almost, <laughs> not quite, <laughs> but almost. But uh, go go listen if you haven't listened to Metamorph City yet. You really owe it to yourself to take a listen. It's fabulous, fabulous stuff. I know I've said that before. And where can they find it? Uh, at uh, www.metamorecity.com Ding. And I'll link to it in the show notes. And I'm sorry, I'm really tired, so I'm not very articulate. So I'll let you guys go. But thanks for sticking around, and I hope you enjoyed it. And send more feedback, post more iTunes reviews, and stay tuned because very soon now you're going to be getting more antithesis than you might want to deal with. And I'll see you soon. And oh, remember. And, oh, yes, that's right. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game.